And we've been talking about relationships and, uh, and goals and for the last several weeks. And I've been uh, researching and looking and uh, talking. I'm in a lot of online, uh, like, uh, preacher forums where we share things back and forth. And one of the common questions that, that are asked in those, um, and by no means am I the, the smartest guy in there. They all actually, because I, they, they want to talk Greek and Hebrew and, and all that stuff. And I don't know any of that. Um, but one of the, the questions that, that's asked often is, what's the hardest chapter in the Bible? What's the hardest chapter? And they're always talking about, like, to interpret or to translate and Greek words. And I'm always like, Philippians chapter 2. And they're like, well, that's not very hard. And I'm like, try to do it. Like, this says things in there, and it's all about relationships. So I've been studying it and looking over it. And it says things like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others higher than yourself. Like nothing's a big word. Or it says in, in your relationships, and it's kind of been on the front of the bulletin every week, it says in your relationships, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I fail. Or, or later on, it says do everything without complaining or grumbling. Yeah, try that. I can't make it 15 minutes the hardest chapter in the Bible. Or later on, as Paul writing in that chapter, he, he says uh, about Timothy, he says, I'm sending Timothy to you because no one has the interest of Christ in mind. Like everybody looks to their own interests and no one looks to the interest of Jesus Christ. Man. I got, so I think that's the hardest chapter in, in the Bible because I think that our relationships are the hardest things that we come across each and every day. It's hard to, to die to ourself. It's hard to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's hard to do everything. And, and the word nothing in the Greek, I just tell them it means nothing. Or the word everything in the Greek, it means everything. So relationships are hard. And sometimes we, we see on social media the, these images that people craft and put up and they say oh and we say man oh I want that or I want something like that and then you get married and you realize I don't have something like that like sometimes things don't end up exactly as you as you hope they would in a relationship in fact those of you who are married how many of you uh, poll how many of you married someone very opposite from you raise your hand Yeah, I sure did. And I'm thankful. But isn't it interesting, though, how when you're dating, like opposites tend to attract? Right? Paula, is it Paula Abdul has that great song with the Cheeto guy? Um, but then you get married, and all of a sudden, opposites tend to attack? Like, have you ever noticed, like, what's cute and adorable when you're dating becomes incredibly obnoxious once you're married? Like, it's so sweet and, and great. Like, oh, he's so laid back. I just love him. He's so lovable, so calm, just so chill. Then you're married and you're like, get a job. <laughs> get, get off the couch. <laughs> like, how many of you, when it comes to money, like you're a saver? You're tight. How many of you didn't even know that saving was actually an option when it came to money? <laughs> like you thought you had to spend it all as soon as you got it. 
Yeah. Like, so, so, so opposites, like they, they tend to attract each other. What about, some of you are, are very punctual when it comes to being on time. How many of you are the punctual people? Like, that is me. Um, and then there are some of you that are more flexible with your arrival time. Like, you're often different. Like, opposites, and when you're married, like, there are those of you who are very organized. Like, Jennifer is very organized. Everything has a place, and it's got to be in that place. Me? Like, I'm more creative. <laughs> I can just put stuff anywhere. Like, but it's funny. And one day you get married, and you realize, how come we're struggling so much? I never thought we would end up here. Like I said, and I hope you have some, some relationship goals. Uh, we have some goals we've been talking about over the last several, several weeks. Um, and they are that we're going to be Christ-centered in all that we do. Like being Christ-centered is, is different than just calling yourself a Christian. Like a billion people, two billion actually, call themselves Christians. It takes effort, though, to follow Christ and to be Christ-centered. Like, so we want to be Christ-centered. Uh, we want to be mission-driven because what God unites, the, the devil is going to try to separate. So we've got to have the same mission and the same purpose in our lives. We're, we're going to be devil-kicking because he is going to attack. We have an enemy that is going to come after us every time we put our guard down. And today we're going to be covenant-keeping. And I just want to talk about that aspect of covenant keeping in our relationship. Like, what does that mean? And how do we live uh, this out? And I'm going to give you an example later on um, in the sermon. But Matthew's gospel in chapter 19, we're going to start there. Um, it's a conversation that some Pharisees had with Jesus. And the scripture says this, some Pharisees came to test him. Which is never a good move, really. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Sounds like these guys were looking for a loophole in, in their marriages. And Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this cause, um, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Listen, so Jesus said, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If you were with us in previous weeks, we looked at the truth that our God unites. And we said, well, God unites, our spiritual enemy is scheming or strategizing to divide. So what does it mean to be covenant-keeping in our relationship? And we're going to dive into that truth. Before we do that, I want to bring up three different approaches to marriage. And we see these all around us. When you look around in, in culture, uh, in social media, in uh, Hollywood, where, wherever you look, you're going to see these three different approaches to marriage. So let's talk about three different. The first is what I call the casual approach to marriage. It's, it's, it's casual. Like marriage isn't that big of a deal. It's just a piece of paper. And then there's what I call the, the contractual approach. Like marriage is a contract. We sign on, on the dotted line and, and there's an agreement. So there's a casual approach to marriage, there's a contractual approach to marriage, and then the third approach I would call a covenantal approach to marriage or a covenant approach uh, to, to marriage. And that's the idea that marriage is a holy covenant that was established by God. 
So let's talk about those three and, and unpack those for a minute. A casual approach, like a uh, marriage isn't a big deal. I mean, I, I might get married, I might not. I, I might get married somewhere in, in the future. Marriage, it's just a piece of paper anyway. It doesn't really matter. And whenever we have a casual approach to marriage, it always also generally leads to a casual approach to sex, right? If you look at someone with a casual approach to sex, they would probably say something like this. As long as it's two consenting adults and they agree, it's really nobody's business anyway. We're, we're not hurting anyone. Last time I checked, sex feels pretty good. So we might as well do it whenever we want, with whomever we want. Because after all, it's no big deal. Then that thinking tends to, to evolve. Since marriage isn't that big of a deal and sex isn't that big of a deal, then we, we might as well um, just kind of move in together. Because after all, none of it matters anyway. And it's interesting that, that in 2017, the report was that 57% of people said they've either currently or previously have lived with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And that kind of it makes sense in our culture today. If you talk to people, because you're kind of with somebody, it's really easy to say, well, we, we might as well just move in together because it's incredibly convenient and we can save money. And it seems to make sense. And we're getting things, uh, we're testing things out. And, and now if you're living together, listen, my goal is not to bring shame upon you. Um, it's not to, to embarrass you. It's not to make you feel guilty or run out of here and say, hey, I can never go back to that church again. Listen, you, you're welcome here. Like, I'm glad you're here today. But, but I am just going to kind of call it what it is. Like you have to make some level of, of commitment to someone. To, to, to share an address with them. But let's just talk it through. What it can, could end up meaning if we really think marriage is no big deal. Let's say we're going to live together. Um, and just we're going to do some things that are typically reserved for married people. So you move in with somebody, you put your toothbrush in the little toothbrush holder, and it's cute. You, you hang your clothes in, uh, you're um, sharing bills, you share an address, uh, you might share a sandwich, and, and you share the bed. And essentially, you do married things even though you're not really married. And if things don't work out, you take your toothbrush, you take your clothes and your half of the sandwich and, and you break up and you go along with somebody else. And if things don't work out with them, you, you, if things do work out with them, you might move in with them um, one day and then weeks and months and years from now, you meet that perfect someone and all the love songs on the radio make sense. You realize that it's finally that special someone. You want to settle down and get married. And you do, and opposites attract, and you get married, and suddenly things get complicated. She squeezes the toothbrush from the middle. Like he won't put the toilet lid down. He doesn't put the ketchup back in the right place. He doesn't breathe right. And when things get difficult, so many people say, well, let's just break it off. Let's just divorce. Like, why is divorce so common? Because a lot of people played house, they pretended to be married, and practiced divorce on person after person after person. And so if marriage is only a piece of paper, and sex isn't that big of a deal, and we can live with multiple people as we go throughout life, why would it not end in divorce? Like, and that could be a consequence of a, a casual approach to marriage. And then there's what I call the, the contractual approach to, to marriage. And immediate, uh, admittedly, if you get married... Like I'm assuming that most all states are, in Illinois it is. You sign a marriage contract. At the end, you put your signature on it, and, which I think is a good thing. 
But the problem with a contract is if, that, if that's all that marriage is, it's contract-based, a contract is based on mutual distrust. Think about it. A contract is based on mutual distrust. Like we're not shaking on it like you're signing on the dotted line. If I have a rental property and someone's going to rent that property to me, I draw up a contract saying, hey, I'll fix this part of it and if you continue to pay rent. Like you've got responsibilities, I've got responsibilities, and as long as you live up to yours, then I'll live up to mine because it's a contract. But it's really based on mutual distrust. If I don't know you, like we're signing a contract, we're, we're putting our names down. And a contract generally means like until you pay up or until a certain amount of time expires, a contract like it protects the rights of the people signing it. That's why we have prenuptial agreements now in, in marriage because we, we've made it contractual. It limits responsibilities and defines responsibilities. So if we enter into a marriage and say it's a contract, then listen, then as long as you live up to your end of the deal, then we, we have a deal. But if you don't, if you break that contract in some way or another, then I'm free to go. I'm free, I'm free to be out. So when you don't make me happy any longer, or when you don't meet my needs, you broke the contract, now I'm not bound to it anymore and I can go my, my own separate way. So there's a casual approach to marriage where it's not that big of a deal. There's a contractual approach to marriage that says, hey, I'm in as long as you're in. As long as, long as you live up to your end of the deal, I'll live up to mine. And then there's also a covenantal approach to marriage. A covenantal approach is not based on mutual distrust. It's not, it's not temporary. And it's not motivated by self-preservation. Instead, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. It's unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love for the other person. So let's talk about what a covenant is because most of us don't walk around saying, hey, I'm entering into a covenant today. Um, the word comes from an Old, Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew word, um, brith. And, and I'm not saying that right, and my preacher groups would laugh at me. And that's okay. Um, but it means, uh, literally it means a cutting. That's what the word covenant means. It means a, a cutting. So when you see a, a covenant established in the Old Testament, there was always a shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, if two people were to enter into a covenant, uh, then there would often be the shedding of blood of a bull um, or maybe even seven lambs. So if two people were entering into a covenant, they would have a bull, um, and they would kill the bull, and the bull would be cut in half. And, and they would march around the outside of the bull seven times, going around, and then through the middle. And each time they would walk around, they would say, if I break this covenant, may what happened to this bull happen to me. May I be split in half. If I don't live up to my oath, then this, this is what's happening. A shedding of blood, giving my, my word, that that's a commitment that I will stick by. So if you went to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, what would you see? You would see this powerful coven, covenantal ceremony. And occasionally what the priest would do is ask for the hand of the bride and the hand of the groom, and he would cut them. Just, just enough to draw blood, and then he would put their hands together and bind them together. Symbolizing that the two would become one. 
What we see oftentimes even in the Old Testament, this, this covenant is done by the, the shedding of blood. That even all the way back to when the Israelites were escaping from Egypt, the covenant was made where they put the doorposts, they put blood on the doorposts all around. Doing that this was a covenant that God is not going to, to kill you. In Hebrews chapter 13, and this, this isn't in your bulletin, but it says marriage should be honored by all. Who does all mean? In the Greek, all. Like it means if you're a kid, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're a teenager with raging hormones, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 22 and, and single and you still have your needs, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 31, waiting, dating, and the deep desire for mating, like you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 47 and divorced, you honor the, the covenant of marriage because covenant matters. And as I was thinking about covenant and, and what covenant means and, and what that looks like and how could I uh, express that to you, I just want to share a little bit about this couple uh, right here. That's Ron and, and Nelda Zenzer. Many of you know Ron. Uh, Ron's a phenomenal guy. He's sitting right there this morning. Um, Ron has been, uh, was an elder here uh, for, for many, many years. Um, he was uh, the, the children's um, church leader for, for over 40 years. He and Nelda worked uh, side by side. It was an interesting story. He got married uh, when he was 18 and Nelda was 15. And he said that, he was telling me this morning, he said that Nelda was, was a Christian at that point um, before they got married, and he wasn't. And he knew that if I was going to marry this, this lady that I had to be a Christian. So that night after he decided, hey, this is the one woman I want to marry, so that he went to uh, Hickory Street Church in Centralia at that time, and he said they were having a board meeting. And he interrupted their board meeting and said, hey, I need to be baptized today. And he said, that sent us on a journey of serving Christ and sacrificing for Christ for years. So not only did he serve here as an elder and, and do children's church for over, over 40 years, he was on the board at Oil Belt Camp and, and served there to help build that. He's lived a life of, of sacrifice. And together, they've said, and it hadn't been easy. Because a little over two years ago, um, he had to put Nelda um, in, a, in, in a nursing home because she has Alzheimer's. And, and he tried and he kept her at home as, as long as he could, sacrificing himself um, for that. And it just continued to get worse and worse until he couldn't handle it um, anymore on his own and had to get help. And so he, he moved her to Centralia Manor. And he spent every day going back and forth, feeding her, taking care of her, making sure that her needs are being met there in the nursing home. And she has no way even to communicate thank you back to him. That's a covenant. That when life falls apart, that when it doesn't go the way that, that, that we plan for it to go, that it doesn't look like God's involved, where, where my needs can't be met anymore, we're saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna lay aside my needs and my desires because I made a covenant to this woman and to God, and I'm going to live that out no matter what God brings my way, no matter how Satan tries to divide, no matter how the world look, looks at it and says, that's not right. I'm going to remain faithful to my covenant of marriage. So that 
is a relationship goal for me. I want to have a covenant like that. See, because we get to choose what, what we want to be. I want to choose to be Christ-centered. That's what's driven Ron and, and Nelda for all of these years. I, I want in our relationship to be mission-driven, to have purpose, to live for a higher calling. I want to kick out all of the forces of darkness and be devil-kicking. And I want to be covenant-keeping. It's not a casual approach. It's not just a contract. It's much more. And here's the root. Many of us think that when, when we go to God, it's a casual deal. I do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. He's going to forgive me anyway. It's a casual approach to God. Some people, though, they, they think it's a contractual approach to God. If I live up to my part, then he'll live up to his. But the problem is we don't always live up to ours. So we're afraid to go to him because, hey, if we, we don't feel like we're worthy of it because we broke the contract. We didn't do what we were supposed to do, so it keeps us back. But the truth about God is it's not casual and it's not contractual, it's a covenant. So the old covenant, like I said they would take a lamb and, and once a year, and they would sacrifice the lamb. And the blood from the lamb would, would flow into a bucket. And they would take a, a sponge and dip it in the blood, put the blood on the top of the doorpost and on both sides of the doorpost. And when they did that, then I said the death angel would pass by because the home was covered with the blood of the lamb. What's so amazing to think is you put blood on, on the top of the doorpost and on both sides. What would happen to the blood on the top? It would drip to the bottom. And there in the Old Testament, you have a foreshadowing of the, the cross of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So the Old Testament covenant was temporary. But the way you live under the New Covenant is through Jesus. Because he is the Lamb of God who was slain. His shed blood was given for the forgiveness of sin. The cutting, so that because of his gift, because of his resurrection, whoever calls on his name will be forgiven. That in baptism they can be made new. It's a new covenant. And here's the great news. Even if we're faithless, even if we're faithless, the scripture says that God remains faithful. It says, for he cannot disown himself. It's not casual. It's not contractual. It's a covenant. So our relationships will be as good as we choose for them to be. And we choose to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping. We choose to honor God and always be faithful. And he will always be faithful to us. So I don't know where you're at in your relationships this morning. Maybe today you need to say, well, you know what, I, I need to honor the commitment. Maybe you've had a casual approach or a contractual approach. So today's a day of, of a covenant. Maybe you want to make that public. I, I don't know. We want to offer that to you.
Maybe today your relationship needs some, some prayer and we want to, to, to be able to pray for you. Maybe today you've viewed God as, and your relationship with him as uh, casual or maybe even contractual and you say, I haven't lived up to, to that end of the bargain. And today you want to come forward and say, God, I want to enter into a covenant with you. It's not because of how good I've been, but God, it's because of what you've done for me. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray. And if there's a decision that you need to make this morning, I want to encourage you um, to, to do that publicly. And then Kyle's going to lead us again in that song we sang earlier. I'm coming back to, to a heart of worship. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. That everything that we do has got to be about him, even in our relationships. We want to be Christ-centered. Father God, today, I thank you for the covenant that you've made with us through Jesus Christ. That no matter what we've done or, or where we've been or, or even what we were doing last night, that God, your covenant is true. That your covenant is, is real with us. That you're going to remain faithful to your word. That you will never leave us or forsake us, God, because you cannot disown yourself. So Father, today I pray if there's any here that are outside of a relationship with you, that today that there will be a day where they enter into that covenant. Where they accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for them on the cross. I pray for relationships today that, that need healing, they, that need to be restored. God, I pray that, that both parties will look at it as a covenant and, and it's not a contract and it's not casual, but God, we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. Just like you were with Christ and us. It's in his name that I pray.